You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Just that you know, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all the lords, and he's king of all the kings. He's coming back. He's coming back. Hallelujah. So, 70 AD, which is 70 years old, Jesus was, Jesus was born 6 BC in the month of April. One of the six days of 16, 17, 18th, or even the 19th, but those few days, we're not sure which of the days, but those few days and the month of April, 6 BC. We know this because 4 BC, Herod died and he was the herod that was trying to stop jesus and so two years before jesus was born there was a, a recorded census throughout israel as well as in that month of the april there was a record by josephus and different historians of a most unusual star alignment and manifestation in the sky for several days all this is in historical value, putting Jesus to be born at 6 BC. He died, of course, 27 AD, and the church progressed after that. And at 70 AD, the tragedy of the Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. The most amazing time when Jesus was born, this was the second temple period which means we had the tabernacle, which the Lord established for his presence, with the Ark of the Covenant inside. The Ark of the Covenant was a chest with a gold overlay and little angelic beings, what were called cherubim, though the wings touched. Inside that chest was the budding rod of Aaron, as well as the, the tablets that Moses had inscribed He'd been given tablets by God, who, which God had inscribed, but he broke them. And so the second lot, he has to chisel himself. So if you break it, God, don't expect God to fix it. You laugh, but men come to me often. They have a, have a vasectomy, or women have their tubes tied, and they want God to undo it, what they did. And I always explain to them, you did that, you must undo it. Just want you to know that. I don't know if someone needs to hear that. <laughs> but the most amazing timing of the Savior to be born in the history of Israel, for example, we'd had the tabernacle and then we had the first temple after David. Solomon built the first temple. And of course, the temple was destroyed several times and rebuilt over the years. But when Herod came along, Herod was the most formidable builder historically in Israel. He built the entire city of Caesarea for the Romans. That's why it's called Caesarea, out of the Caesars. Of course, they used Jaffa was the Jewish port most of all the years, Jaffa. And um, this is all to do with the life of Jesus and the disciples. So I thought you might find this interesting. And so <clears throat> he was such an amazing builder. He had a signature he built huge stones and he had a frame around them. That's how you could identify his building. And you'll find throughout Israel, and of course in the desert, he built five different fortresses, one of which you may have heard of, Masada, 
which was often in movies and, and recorded in tragedy time. But, but he was born in 50 years or 70 years before 70 AD, before the actual fall of this beautiful temple. And I want you to know this was the most majestic. The historians that are not even, even believers would write, if you've never seen the temple of the, of the Israelis or the Jews, you've never seen a beautiful building. You've never seen it because this was magnificent. Because here it was a fantastic building. It was elaborate. He had a lot of money, and he would tax the people to frazzles, you know. And when, when what he did, he wanted to raise the temple higher. So he laid a wall, a, a, a built a wall, and it was very clever. He motivated the, uh, the Levites so much to build the temple because only they can build, actually touch the temple. And he got a thousand of them working, did it in three and a half years. He supplied the materials, but they built that temple in three and a half, which is remarkable. But he built what's known as the Temple Mount, or platform to raise it up, and I the, the the majestic size of this thing compared to the whole city was mind-boggling. That uh, was the, had the court of the Gentiles because the my house would be a house of, of prayer for all nations. The scripture says so. Everyone was welcome there on this platform. So in the time of Jesus, he came at the most pinnacle time of Israel's temple structures, life, temple life, the the biggest space where the Jews came from all over the world. You must understand that for a Jew, as for a Muslim too, that is the center of the world. Because we believe, the Jews believe, as well as the Muslims, the rock that's in the Holy of Holies, or now in the, under the dome, is the beginning of life. And that's where God began the earth, and so the center of the universe. So you can have, you can have synagogues, but the actual temple is the whole center of it all. And this, is, this temple was perfectly structured in the time of Jesus. So he often spent time in the temple teaching even on the outskirts on the platform, which is the temple of or the courts of the Gentiles, because they had a porch called the Solomon's Porch with all these little um, arches and huge places where they traded even in the temple. But that's where he taught. And often you have re reference to him in how he was, on, he was at the temple under Solomon's Porch. They would talk about that. That's what he would do. Same as the disciples that, that were in, in Acts 5. They were... Uh, they were imprisoned, and when they were let free, they went straight to the temple, that same place, to preach, and they were caught again, uh, summoned again, and then whipped, and so on. It's all in Acts 5. Anyway, why I'm telling you all this is the timing was so remarkable because the oppression of the Romans made them look for God and uh, look for some solution like the Savior, and everything was pointing the preparation of John the Baptist, the mag magnificent evangelist that he was and preacher, that he was a totally holy, dedicated life. And poor John was a scene. I don't know if you know what that is. Let me tell you what it is. There were, there, were many minist there were many groups in the time of Jesus. We had Pharisees. They were the religious. They were the, the more righteous than anybody else. Sadducees, just like the Pharisees, but in three doctrines they differed, one of which was the eternal life. And then we had zealots who were like the Pharisees, but they were very political. They wanted to er eradicate all the other foreign nations. And then we had Sadducee, I mean the Essenes, which were the extreme group, very spiritual, and they were like monks. So their priests or their leaders were celibate and they were all sworn to poverty and to devotion of prayer and fasting. And John the Baptist was a Essene. They built a whole monastery called Qumran down in the Dead Sea where the Dead Sea Scrolls come from. I think I spoke about the night already. That's what a Essene is. Okay, that, that, that was what John, so he spent his whole life dedicated 
to this thing. So the preparation of the Lord coming is this letting the Israel nation know that the Savior is coming now. And they're calling for him because they've got this oppression of the Romans they can't get rid of, but they have this magnificent temple. And then they also set up so that the Romans can be the one to crucify him. It has to all be set up. The, down to the finest detail, just one little thing for you, Goya, just to help you to understand that when you bring a, a lamb to be sacrificed to the temple, it has to be cleared by two priests. It has to be sanctified that it's not with a wrinkled spot or blemish. It's got to be perfect. So you bring your animal and they examine it. Once the first priest has examined it carefully, he calls another one. And this one, the second one will, will okay it, and then they'll keep that animal in a, in a keeping place that across the bridge to take it to the temple the next day so you'll not see your animal, your sacrifice again. Jesus is the Lamb of God and he had to be inspected by two inspectors, two, two officials. So Pontius Pilate said, I can find no wrong in this man. I'm washing my hands in innocence. And Herod said, you could find nothing wrong sending him back to Pilate. So two public figures both acknowledged he was without rink, spot, or blemish. That's just a small detail. I want to tell you so much in the word like that and to fulfill. So the timing that he was born was so profound for him to be at that time of the most magnificent temple in the history of Israel because Israel was about to be destroyed from 70 AD to 1948. There was no Israel. Gone. And the Turks and the Byzantines and different, and even the English took over those different eras where they took over the different parts of Israel. And uh, so why I'm telling you all this is, so he was in a very precarious time to be born that they would hear him. And now 70 AD came, and there was a resistance to the Romans, and they didn't anticipate 80,000 Romans coming with all their, their war equipment, and they destroyed, they destroyed Jerusalem. They left the Wailing Wall as we know it, and they left, which is called the, the Western Wall, they left that, a part of it, actually most of it, and then they left also one of uh, Herod's towers. He had built three towers in his palace. He left one of the towers to display what a great nation they were to show how powerful they conquered Jerusalem. So I want you, to, want you to know that. So 70 AD came, and there was so much persecution. It was a terrible time. Jesus said in Matthew 24, time is coming that was never before as terrible or will ever be again. And so people often use Matthew 24 as an indicator of the end times, but, but actually that was referring to the Jews. Because he said to them, you'll flee to the hills of Judea, and you must pray that it's not in winter, or pray that you're not pregnant, or pray that it's not Shabbat, Sabbath. Because how's it going to affect us where we are if it's going to be that? It's going to just do with the Jews. But 70 AD came, and I said I couldn't understand if it was so terrible, I thought my, my ancestry, which comes from Germany and the, and the Holocaust and the persecution of my family, with many of my family and relatives were killed in, the, in that time. I, we are refugees. My mother was a refugee from the, that Holocaust situation. And so I thought that was terrible. But then I found out, I started studying what happened. They, they were so brutal that they even ate the children. Israeli. Awful things that, the, that was done to them just more than ever, ever. And I understand why Jesus said that. A terrible time. Now, I said all that to tell you this, that all the Gospels we have today were written after that. So, so many years went by. Luke writes in his first part of his book, he says, I, want, I carefully studied what was handed down to us by so many. So it was very normal to hand down orally things and teach people because life was slower 
And so the Gospel of Matthew is written by his disciples. It even refers to Matthew in the third person sometimes. Mark was an interesting one. He was the one that was also had disciples, but it was the first Gospel to be launched, and it was the used the most, and they used Mark for the other Gospels. Because, for example, Matthew has no less than 400 verses, exactly the same as Mark. The same verses were copied. And the book of Mark was so used, you'll find parts of it that is, it says that you will not find this in the original manuscripts. This is possibly another writer. They'll use those things all throughout the book of Mark because it was used all over Europe. It was a treasured book, the book of Mark. Luke, of course, wrote his book and, and uh, he handed down the information. He was a, he was a very... Uh, different kind of man. He uh, was a doctor, he was educated, he became a Jew, then he became a Christian, and he was a very interesting man, very smart. And he was involved in the book of Acts, as you, as you know, the first 12 chapters was about Peter, and the rest was all about Paul. Now, stay with me, please, stay with me. So, this is what happens now. The only disciple that did not become martyred was John. John was only 18 when he met Jesus. So he lived too late in his 90s, way after the fall of Jerusalem. And he wrote his book of John in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the hubs of the Christians. Mother Mary, the mother of Jesus, actually spent her last days there. And the church was vibrant there because of the freedom they had. And it was a port then. It's not a port now because the silt of the river dumping for 20,000 years has moved the, the actual coastline almost uh, one and a half miles away. Quite incredible how that happened. Either way, Ephesus is where he wrote, in his 80s he wrote the book of John with the help of his little Turkish born-again believers who did get martyred, by the way, those two. And then he wrote the book of Revelation in his 90s on the Isle of Patmos. Yep. Now why I'm telling you all this is because I want to stir up inside of you an interest in God's Word. If if uh, Scott tells me one thing and then the pastor tells me something else or similar, it, I consider who told me because it's going to influence the way they say things. So where it comes from. Now John was very pure-hearted. He was 18, called the Sons of Thunder because they just wanted to call down destruction. And he didn't do anything with Peter. He, Peter was the one that, uh, he, that raises up the man at the gate. No record that John does something. But he's devoted to God and writes his book so late in life, and he tabulates things that nobody else writes about in the book, the book of John. He's the only one talking about the woman caught in the adultery. No one else remembers that. And, they, and you'll find there's a synopsis or a, a repeating of different incidences throughout the Gospels, including John, that were memorable. But John's depth comes through in his writings. You can see his focus. His focus wasn't on trying to tell the story in a historical fashion, but rather tell a message. Because he begins his book, in the beginning was the Word. Didn't try to bring the virgin birth or John the Baptist. It was in the Word. He, he immediately started with the most important thing is when his own understanding, having lived such a long life and walked such a long journey with the Lord. Are you with me still? Now, he, in chapter 15, he, he relays a teaching that nowhere else is to be found, the words and quoting the words of Jesus in the book of John chapter 15 and says these words, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Are you with me now? Now, we, now I start. I have to introduce them, my little subject. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me and bears 
that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Salvation is so amazing, this free gift of salvation. Let me stop and talk about that for a moment. Some of you will not understand or agree with what I'm saying, and others will go, yeah, that's right. This gospel is such a free gift. It is mind-boggling. In fact, Hebrews 2 says, how shall we ever escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There are religions on the face of the earth that will offer you anything, something, but you've got to do something for it. You've got to earn it. This one has been already paid. It's a free gift. All you have to do is accept it. And it's such an amazing salvation. When he's washing the feet of the disciples, John says, Peter says, you can't wash mine. I must wash yours. Why not? If you don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Then wash all of me. No, no, you don't need all of you washed. You're already clean. When did that happen? When did he repent and fall down of all his sin? When, when, when did salvation come to... When, now that old concept that we fall down and repent and gnash teeth and cry, and that's, that was necessary. Listen to me. You must, I hope some of you can grab this now. When I have a child and I tell him her what to do, she'll say, why? Or he'll say, why? I say, because I say so. I don't explain it, but when they grow up, now I tell them the whole story and they, and they see what I'm trying, why I'm telling it. And the same way the gospel has progressed, that God gave strong rules because there was no other way. John the Baptist, and I'm, studying, I'm actually studying his life intensely right now, devoted his whole life to Jesus. There was cousins. They were second cousins, six months apart. They saw each other more often than you think they did because Jesus would go in that direction. In fact, the 40 days in the wilderness were very close to where John was. And he would go, have to go through Jericho sometimes to get to Jerusalem. And they would often go to Jerusalem in his family. He was 12 years old preaching in the temple. And there was different ways they traveled. And so in his, in his own life, he was, often would visit John, and they would obviously talk about the things of God. There was no question. So when John says, this is the Lamb of God, his mother had prepared him a long time already about what the angel had said to their father, his father in the, in the temple. That day when he was doing the incense. And so he recited his job. And he was too glad to appear the way for the Savior. And all his preaching and his whole life devoted to this one task. And he's about to die. He's in jail. Behind bars. He knows his end's coming. He's heard word that they're going to decapitate him. So he calls one of his disciples to the jail. That keep bringing him supplies and things. And he says, go and ask Jesus if he's the one. You have to wonder, after all that, you're about to die, and you are doubting that your whole life was actually in vain. Are you the one? In the words of our Savior, this is what he said. He said, go and tell him that blind eyes see, that the deaf hear and the lame walk, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man that does not... Take an offense on my account. That's what he said. And then he began to tell of John the Baptist how great he was. But the most interesting thing is that John would now, after watching him all this time now, not really see that he's got any value in ministries because the message was so different to anything John had ever known. 
John preached, repent. Jesus preached, come to me. All of you that are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And it is still the pattern and the, the way of man to start out with this excitement of the salvation that's so freely given and then revert to some religious pattern and order. The Galatians, in chapter 3, Paul says, you foolish, foolish Galatians. Who bewitched you? How did you get like this? You started out in the grace. That's where you started. And you ended up in the law. What, you went in the law in the beginning. What made you go from grace to law? And why I'm telling you this is because I've come here to this church to get you ready the best I know how from the Lord for this wonderful new reset move of God, the thing that God wants to use you for. And God help us that we don't revert back to some pattern, of religious, some control, some way, and not try and do it ourselves. We're not the Savior. Only God, only Jesus has holes in his hands. Do you understand? Now, he said to him, to Peter, you don't need, you already are clean. It's just your feet that are dirty because you are, you are in this world. Your feet are touching this world. Please just text Jason and I'm preaching. Jason, zoom. He's obviously, it might be an emergency, please. Okay, it's my family member. I let them always, I've always been gone my whole life, so I always make sure I'm accessible if there's emergencies, which is only fair after 50, 40 odd years. Okay, so. Where was I now? So this gospel was so, uh, so watered down or soft or seemingly compromised. It seemed like that to John. But he couldn't understand this message that Christ had. And we have this message today. It's a free gift. Peter was cleansed just by the word. And now John, John is saying the same thing. And I want you not to miss that. I want you to grab it because there's so many wonderful treasures in the word. You are already clean. That's what Jesus said. Because of the word I've spoken to you. What? I'm clean because it is so simple to be forgiven. If anyone has sinned, they didn't confess his sin. And God is just enough to forgive you. Right? Confess. There's no wailing and falling down in, if you mess up. Do you understand? He didn't save you and say, now you're not allowed to sin ever again. Well, you're not allowed to sin, but he knows you're going to fall again because he's full of grace and full of kindness. And you don't want to. You keep growing in it. You shouldn't keep on the same thing. But but surely you understand if I must forgive my brother 70 times 7, that God will do that and more. Do you understand? So the devil will try to bring condemnation to you because you mess up. Let me just stop there for a moment. God is not stressed by your weaknesses. He is, however, unhappy with your wickedness. Let me explain. John, not John, Judas, the the one that betrayed Jesus, he was wicked. Because three times he had a chance to change, and each time he decided to betray Jesus. Jesus said, one of you is a devil. One of you. One of you. Not two of you. Well, excuse me, Jesus, Peter's going to deny you three times. John... Judas just betrayed you once, but Peter's going to do it three. And you're going to tell him, warn him for the same night. How brain damaged can you be? You couldn't hold out a few hours. What's wrong with that boy? What's he smoking? You know, Jesus said in Luke 22, the devil's asked to sift you, but I prayed for you. He said, well, I'm willing to go to jail for you. (laughs) Peter, (laughs) before the night's through. Why didn't the Lord stop him? 
Why didn't the Lord prevent him? Because some things that happen in your life, they're going to happen. Because God will use it for, to accomplish his perfect, perfect plan. Text Abigail and say, I'm preaching, please. I don't know what's wrong with this family of mine. So I don't understand how that we get so confused by the simple message of life and free gift that God. This is so amazing that he loves you so much. I used to, I used to try to watch the passion so many times how they whip Jesus and beat him. I just I couldn't. I just couldn't. It was so real to me because I love him so much that I, I couldn't watch it. And so I keep putting it off. I bought it, but I kept putting it off. I couldn't watch it. And the Lord said to me, you can't change what I've done. But if you want to bless me, don't waste it. Take everything. I didn't just suffer for you to get saved. I suffered for everything, for, for, for life in full. I suffered for, for freedom, for, for, for deliverance. I suffered for health. I suffered for blessings. I suffered for it all. Don't waste it. Go and get it. But the devil will come and bring accusation. Now, Peter, Peter denies the Lord three times, and he needed to. Peter needed to deny the Lord. I know it might be strange for you, but listen to me. Peter and John were the most high-profile disciples, always spoken about. And John was the one who Jesus loved. He says that, nobody else. Five times, in fact, he says it. And he's always the one nudging his head against Jesus. And Peter's feeling so insecure. He's older than John. Peter's about 24. He's married. John's 18. Peter is trying hard because he must have had a father-daddy issue, but he's trying hard to please Jesus. Boy, he's walking on that water. He's, got, he's even got a sword in his hand. When the Romans come to rest, Jesus, he's going to take on the whole army. Right. Couldn't even kill one man nicks the man's ear off. You know, he's, he's such a loser. He's just strange. <laughs> I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, there's Moses and Elijah. And all that comes out of Peter's mouth, shall I build a tent? <laughs> the logic of building a tent for Moses? Are you out of your tiny mind? What makes you do you want to build a tent? It's just a strange, he wanted so Jesus' approval. And the only way to fix that was to vaccinate him. To let him fail so badly. That there was no way out. Because the very thing he didn't want to do, he did. And now, the only way to go, and, and he, was, he was restored before he fell. And he says, uh, he'll deny me three times, but when you come back. Luke 22, when you come back. So he's restored already before he fell. You understand that? God's got, got you covered. He's into restoration. So how the devil works in your life, unless you're well equipped with the word, he will bring guilt and shame on you all. The, and he'll use Christians to help him. They'll tell you how bad you are because you're struggling. You understand? You're weak. And every time you fall, you know you can fall a hundred times, keep getting up. Don't excuse it because sooner or later it's not going to work anymore. If you keep, if you just, oh, well, I'll just do this again because God is my... No, you don't. If you fall, then God forgives you. A hundred times, but don't act like it's okay. Do you understand? Okay. Because sin is still sin. Still sent him to the cross. You with me still? Okay. But I want you to understand the grace. The devil comes against you and he tells you, don't you dare get up and prophesy. Don't you dare think you're a good Christian. I, we know what you did. We know where you come from. And he'll bring the shame on you because there are, there's now no condemnation to those in Christ. Am I right? Stay with me now. So the salvation that God gave you is a free gift. You're saved. Now, 
Can a person always stay saved? Well, you can walk away from your Savior. You can walk away. You can become disinherited. There's no question. And you, and you can become, and I'm going to come to that in a moment if you, if you are just patient enough with me. I hope I get enough in here quickly. Got a, okay. It says, Jesus went on to say, where am I now? In John 15, which is in the, under the J's. You are already clean because of my word I spoke to you. Now, verse 4 says, remain, stay, keep in me as I will, I will stay with you, in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. So if you don't have fruit, you're struggling to have fruit, it's not just getting mad at yourself, it's actually getting more of him. In fact, in fact, holiness is not the absence of sin. Because God was holy before there was sin. Holiness is the presence of God. So if you want to be holy like Him, you've got to have more of Him. The more you have of Him, the less you'll have of anything else. So if you're struggling with something, get more of Him. Quit trying. You know, when you go to a diet, when you diet, all you think about is food. I wonder if I eat that candy bar if it's going to mess up my points for the day. All you, the whole day. If you're trying to fight sin, that's all you think about. But you get filled with Him, full of Jesus, full of Him all the time. When you're struggling, go run to Him. Get full of Him, and that thing just fades away. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's how God designed this whole thing. Remain in Him now. It, he says, um, no branch can bear fruit by itself. You, you, it must remain in me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you have to know your dependency is completely on him. If you do not remain in me, you'll be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And withers. You've got no life in you. All the life comes from me. Such a branch is picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. Verse 7 says, if you remain in me, my words, and my words remain in you. What does that mean? If my words remain in you. That you learn from him. How do, you rem- how do we remain in the Lord? How- if I'm supposed to remain in him, I understand the need to remain in him. If I'm cut off, I'm like a branch without any food. So how do I remain? In- what do I do to remain in him? You want me to teach you how to do that. So I have four points I want to teach you tonight. The first one is, it's choice. Your life is riddled with choices. Every day, all day, whether you get mad, buy gas there, there, whether you're going to turn this left or right, whether you're going to do this thing, what, you know, the smallest details, there's choices all day. In the Garden of Eden, there was a choice. Eve messed up, she made a mistake, she was tempted. But Adam had a choice, he wasn't messed up, he wasn't, he wasn't deceived. She said, come on, have this, and he could have taken it or not taken it, and he knew if I don't take this, I may lose Eve. If I do take it, I may lose God. So what shall I do? What shall I do? And he takes the fruit. He chose her. You don't, say, you don't be surprised because you choose a lot of things above God every day of your life. I will do anything you ask me, except don't ask me to do that. How many times have you... There are things in our life that we struggle to do. I don't ask me to, to reconcile with that person, but I'll do anything you want but that. Jonah, servant of God. I don't know what he was thinking, where, where he's going to go from God. You knew the one that knows God, you bring the message, and you're going to Tarshish. Where do you, how do you think that's going to end for you? 
what, what's wrong with you, boy? Do you understand what I'm saying? And all of us, once you got born again and became his child, a journey began for you. A wonderful, exciting journey. And it's just your, your journey isn't like someone else's. Yours is very unique because you are unique. You have, you have a fingerprint that's unique, a social personality. You are completely unique in every way. You have similarities maybe, but you are not the same. Do you understand? There's nobody. So I don't like the phlegmatic, sanguine thing. It's a lot of nonsense because no, there's no groups of people that are the same. You may have some traits that seem similar, but we're all so terribly unique. Right? You're born with a personality that you'll never change. Never. It's like a fingerprint. But you develop a character that makes the personality more flexible and conducive to the world. Yeah, you're learning a whole lot. Okay, good. Stay with me. I'll be all week. Okay. Hopefully. I like your pastor. He's got a lot of birds in his arm. It might fluff, just get very light and fly away with low wings. Where was I now? So uh, my word must stay in you. So this is the way you remain in the Lord. This is the way you stay in him. You have to choose him continually. Because you'll be faced with situations where he has to come first. And when you love him, it becomes natural. If he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not a threat or a warning. It's a promise. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. No problem. Easy. If you love me. That's what it is. If you're having a struggle, you've got to get back to the way you love him. Are you with me still? Stay with me. All right. So you choose him continually in everything you do. You put him first. When something's uneasy and you might take it away from time from you, always choose him. If you have a relationship with a, with a husband, wife, girlfriend, you always choose that person that in a season of your life. They come first. That's all you see and hear. Well, that's what needs to be for God. He needs to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. Yes? That's the first step in staying in him is continually choosing God then the second thing is to learn about him Moses said and Moses came down from the mountain glowing like a light bulb the man was 40 days and nights in God's presence like no one else and then he says teach me your ways what God must teach you if anybody knows the ways as you Moses teach me the ways that I can know you hungry to know him so this you've got to be taught his ways where do you learn his ways? The word of God and church. Now stay with me. I will tell it to you because you have to teach other people this. Church is God's institution. Jesus said, he spoke Hebrew, he didn't speak Greek. Well, he could speak Greek, but he didn't speak it in the Bible. When he said, that I'll build my church, the word Iglias is not what he said. He used the word, a Hebrew word, which means my synagogue, my family, my home, I'll build my... And that's so much more precious than just Iglesias. It's much more precious. You join a family. When you come to Southview and you started becoming a member here and got committed here, you joined a family. It's true that some are called through the church. But the many are called to the church, and many leave for all the wrong reasons. Even God lost a whole third of his angels. But listen to me. If you want to be a healthy Christian, and you can be offended at me, I really don't care. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. You need to be committed to a local church family. If you don't like this one, find another one. But don't go from church to church, because then it's not them that's wrong. Find a family. Perfect one you will not find. Because while you're there, it's less perfect. 
You're dealing with imperfect people and God loves it. He loves the imperfection of people because iron sharpens iron. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 19, he says, there must be fighting amongst you that they that are approved of God can be seen. Because when you've got an argument and, and, and a discord of some kind, God's watching. Okay, let's see who's got my heart. And it's, you know, that when people argue, they're going to be right. So when you're a child of God, you're more concerned about being reconciled than right. You don't want to be right. It doesn't matter to be right. You just want to see it healing. And God's watching to see who's got his heart. Who's got his heart to care about his kingdom, puts his heart and kingdom first. Now, in the local church, there's so much family things. You Just like any family, you need your family. And you cannot neglect the gathering of the saints. It's God's way. And I, and I tell you, in this next era, you will not survive spiritually if you're not part of a family. In Africa, the lion separates the deer from the herd and looks for a weak one and separates them. That's the way to do it. Keep you separate. Well, I'm still serving God. I am the church. We, we, we have a house church. Whatever it might be, you've always got an excuse. The devil's, got a, the devil's been doing this a long time. He's got all the answers for you. Because in your heart's rebellion. Do you understand? I t- told you yesterday about, about submission. In our country, we're programmed to have our rights. The kids in our schools are programmed to not be submissive. And so submission only works when you don't agree anymore. While you're agreeing, you're not submitted. And God will challenge you. He'll watch to see if you really submitted, if your heart will. You may submit on the outside, do what you're told, but inside you're fighting. And that's what God looks at. It's all about, and he promotes, the. he lifts up the humble. Not the humble and righteous living. Not the humble and good looking. Not the humble and doing well in church. It's the humble, period. How messed up they are. If they're humble, God's going to lift them up. Are you hearing me? The church is vitally important, not only for you, you must participate there too. It's a whole family, you know, it's the way God set it up. And you've got a, the, you guys that are in this church are very privileged. You've got a vibrant church, fantastic church. There's no ordinary church. You will have, you will get offended and just get over it. Yep. Suck it up. Yep. You get offended in the world too. You don't run because they pay you. That's right. <laughs> so I'm saying suck it up here because here God will pay you. God will reward you. That's, that's, that's fact. Are you hearing me? Yep. So, you must, you must, to, to, for you to know him, church life. It's not just the Bible, not just the worship. It's all of it. It's all of it. The interaction with your brethren, all of it helps you to know God and to learn to know him. And then the word of God. Continually learn, spending time with him every day. God wants to spend time with you. You can see the pattern of God and Adam and Eve. He came in the cool of the day, not the first thing in the morning before they got up or before the day got too busy or lunchtime when it was really right in the middle and hot. No, it was in the cool of the day before they were tired to want to sleep, you know, going down. No, it was right there where it was the most calmest, wonderful sunset time of the day. And the Lord comes right for those few minutes to fellowship. Every day, a little bit. He wants to spend a little time with you, quality time. But the, de- the devil and the enemy has kept you so busy. You cannot even get in your truck or car without putting that radio, or getting on the phone. You've got to do something. You can't walk into the house without TV being on. It's always got to be something. The house may not be quiet. It just may not. Because in case God might speak. And you've got to learn to calm your spirit down to the only, you know, you know, Elijah sought the Lord in a storm, in a thunder, and sought him in all the different signals, and he found him in a still, small voice. You've got to quieten your spirit before God. You've got to learn, you've got to practice, you've got to train yourself to get quiet before him.
quiet and listen. Are you with me? So if you want to stay in him, those two things. And then the third thing is uh, you've got to communicate. <laughs> communication. The art of communication is saying as, as much as possible in the fewest amount of words as clearly as possible. And to understand what someone else is saying, to be clear, to, or to pay attention and to perhaps recite or rehearse things to make sure. Let me understand. So you saying, are you actually saying this and make sure you understand? That's good communication. Communicating to God is, you know God reading his word, you know about him, but communicating back to him is where the essence lay. The Lord, the Lord uses this word in the Matthew twice, this phraseology. And that day I'll say, I don't know you to the people that cast out devils and healed the sick and raised and actually prophesied. He said, I don't know you. The ten virgins, they were virgins, all of them. They had oil, they had lamps. They were all the same. Five of them were foolish because they didn't take an extra amount of oil with them. They were still virgins, though, but they had to run back and buy some oil because they weren't ready. And the words of the Lord is, go get from me, I don't know you. I don't know you. How can someone not know you? You may know them, but if they don't know you, it's because you don't communicate with them. You're not talking to them. You're not spending time with them on a daily basis. And I promise you the devil will do all he can. Now, don't confuse the prayer which you spoke about the other day and spending time with God. Spending time with God is intimacy. You don't need to spend more than 10, 15 minutes with him, but it has to be him. You cannot come to him with your long ship shopping list, all the things you want, need, and warfare. You can't come to him yelling and binding and loosing. That's, you can't come to him with all kinds of requests. That's, that's not time for request. Now it's just time for you and him to be alone. If you haven't got a place where you can be completely alone with him, not with your wife. You can't have intimacy with God with other people, other things, that distractions. No. You can't, have, you can't have intimacy in the shower with God. You can't have intimacy on your walk, your exercise. You can't have intimacy in the truck on the way to work. No, no, no. No one wants to share you with someone. People want attention. In a marriage, we're just human, and we want attention. We want focus. Special focus. They take time. Husband and wife who have 10 children take time out to have an evening where they can be alone without interruption. I hope you do. <laughs> Help him, Jesus. Help him. Help him, Lord. Uh, so, <clears throat> the same with the Lord. You're going to take time. Well, I don't have any place I can be. Well, if you go to in the morning, the whole house is quiet. You'll find a spot. But you've got to have 10 minutes where you just spend time with him. Hello, Sarah. Spend time and, and wait on him and talk to him got to have that otherwise you'll dry up you go your whole life serving God and you'll say I, I don't know I don't know you I don't know you you've never come to me I know nothing about your life you've never come you've never shown your heart to me do you hear me for you to help stay strong that church church life will help you in that all right so those are the things that are communication and spending time with God having a having a tent of meeting having a place where you can come and be alone with God. Moses put a tent of meeting way outside from the camp. When he went to the tent, the cloud moved and met him there. Wherever you purpose in your heart to have time with God, God will come. And he'll meet with you. If you seek me, I'll be found of you. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. He promised you, he promised you to make an effort. You're not unworthy. He paid a very expensive price to get you in. Don't make it cheap. Don't make it light. It's very important are you hearing me 
I'm so grateful. You are the champion, champion church. I got it in quickly enough before 8 o'clock. Thank you, Jesus. I, wanted to, didn't want, I don't like to teach too long, and you guys, I lose you. Because when you go to hours, people are... <laughs> don't want that. I want you to get it. I want you to get the message, right? All right. So every day I'm giving you specific messages to help prepare you for this next part of your journey. Um, that's right. I'm way past caring. People like me if I'm preaching a good sermon. I'm not that person. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the sun sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.